0: Life is filled with endless hours of television, internet with no intermission, steals me away, so much confusion, cities built on soul pollution, this world keeps saying it's got something to say, it just keeps turning on.
1: Sunday.
2: now I know that's woke us up probably five or six times this morning so we are glad to have you tuning in with us for the last Sunday of tuning in we are excited to see your faces next week we cannot wait and make
3: sure you shower yes please shower I know you're not used to showering on Sundays
2: (laughs) shower next week please (laughs) exactly we do prefer showers but we are really excited to see you all, and we can, we are looking forward to it. We're anticipating it, and we know that it's going to be awesome for us all to worship together finally. So we are counting the days down. So this morning, we want to invite you to worship where you're at. It's the last week of doing that, and it's been a, a long stretch. It's been a long stretch for us too, and we are really um, just looking forward to that. But at the same time... We can always worship Jesus from where we're at. A lot of times I will think of of just some of his people through the years that he has shown us that have been alone. Paul was alone, and he worshiped from a jail cell. And we've been kind of locked up, so we get to do that one more week, and then we get to come into his presence together and make a joyful, wonderful noise. So we're excited to do that with you guys. So we're going to continue worshiping this morning.
1: Yeah, good one.
3: I'm on my knees again. Do you need him this morning? Oh I
2: need you
3: Don't feel free to beg. Oh Trusting that you are choosing to engage. It's hard in your living room, it's hard in your bedroom. But that simple act of worship just to engage with him, to focus on him, it's something we we maybe take for granted and it's not easy. But remember that our hope is in him. It's not in all this other stuff we got going on. It's in him. he can be trusted Jesus you are solid true
4: I've been held by my Savior I felt fine from above I've been down I ain't the same prodigal To the prison, I've worn shackles and chains. Oh, but I've been freed and forgiven. I'm not going back, I'll never be
0: the same. We all sing.
4: Breaks a man, oh, it breaks him down to his knees. But got up and broken more than a time or two. Oh, yes, Lord, then he picked me up, he showed me
0: what to do.
3: There's no condemnation for you are in Christ Jesus. There's no debt. you are free, it's finished. it's all done. And yet we carry it on, and yet we keep carrying it, we feel guilty, we don't ever feel like God could love us enough. And I want to remind us all this morning that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Do you believe that? you believe that you stand the same in front of Almighty God? Whether you've been lazy, tired, bad mood, yelled at all your kids, or whether you've served your neighbor this week like never before, whether you sing in church, you don't. Remember, that Almighty God thinks that you're okay. He sees you today. He sees you exactly where you're at. Will you open yourself and accept His love for you? His love for all of us. Whatever race, whatever financial, state, whatever country, single, married, gay, straight, Father, You love us all. Thank You. Thank You for grace that is deep and wide and long and high.
4: In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, oh in the morning when I rise, give
3: wondering what you're holding on to, what you're gripping tightly to that this world is seemingly offering. Will you let it go? Will you release your hands, release your fingers, release your grip? What are you afraid of? sitting today wherever you're at will you talk to him tell him what you need to let go what you need to loosen your grip on You may feel like this during this quarantine time. And when I feel It all comes to the end
4: When I come
2: I pray that you will just descend on us today. You always meet us right where we're at. I'm grateful for that. You're sweet. You're kind. You're gentle. And yet, you are so strong. And in our, all of our weaknesses that we have been feeling, you are a mighty tower. I'm grateful for that, Lord. Father, I pray that this week coming up, you will go before us because you promised us you'd be there. So go before us and pave that path. But Lord, I pray that we will be obedient to follow it. Don't let us get off on that frontage road, Lord, and, and go beside you, but let us ride along with you. Lord, I thank you for taking us through this whole last, gosh, nine, ten weeks. We know that you'll be with us, Lord, and I specifically pray now for our country, Lord. I pray for unity. I pray for you to bring us together. Father, we can't do that without you in it. It's just not going to happen. So I pray that you will descend on our country. Descend on our leaders, the people, the people, Lord, specifically, I pray for revival. I ask for people's hearts to crave you. Lord, we can do all these fancy things. We can show up at a church building. But none of it matters if you're not in the middle of it. It just doesn't matter, Lord. So we ask you to be in the middle of it. We ask you to be in control of it and that your people will follow you. I pray that we'll love on people around us. I pray that we'll be kind. I pray that your word will come out of the innermost, deepest part of our hearts to where it almost surprises us when it comes out. And Lord, I pray that we will be known because we love like you do. So help us to love this week. Help us to hear your word to live in it, Jesus, and I just pray, Father, that you will be with us. Be with Pastor Tim this morning as he brings your word to us, Lord. Anoint him and fill him up with your presence and your spirit. Surround him, Jesus, with protection, and when he opens that sword, I pray, Jesus, that it'll penetrate our hearts. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to remind you, once again, you can give online, wlcchurch.com. You can also snail mail your, your offering, or you can drop it off at the church this week, and next week, you can drop it off here in person. We are going to have an announcement from Shelby this morning, just to reiterate what she said last week, because some of it got cut off a little bit, so we're going to do that now, and then Pastor Tim will bring the message. You guys have a good week.
5: Good morning, Woodland Life Center. I'm Shelby Elsis. I represent the millennials on the board, but more so I represent all of you. Um, I just want to do a quick reminder about the voting. It is today for our pastoral candidate, Matt Delp. Um, we're going to have a drive-through vote out here right under the portico. And we are going to have clean pens, clean clipboards. Like, it's going to be very clean. We're going to do our best to keep it safe. For the voting, you have to be 15 years of age or older and an official member of this current church, Woodland Life Center. If you're not a member, I encourage you to come. Tell us your opinion. Kind of just talk to us. We'll have info on becoming a member. Um, but for the official tally, you do need to be a member. But we appreciate all of your feedback and your just support through all of this. And we hope to see you there. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Shelby. Wow, this is a pretty exciting day because I'm looking out and seeing a few people here. We invited, uh, praise team and I, we invited some members of the family to come and help us kind of get a feel for what it would look like to have actual living, breathing people setting out in front of us after the last eight or ten weeks. And we're hoping and praying that many more of you will come And join us next Sunday as we gather for the official uh, grand reopening of the church. For those of you who are here today, you'll see me. You'll think I'm looking at the back wall back there. But there's a camera up there. And sometimes I look there. So people at home will think I'm actually looking right into their living room. So that's what we're doing. If you have a Bible with you today or those of you there at home, and would like to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. I want to read for you verses 7 through 12. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 12. Listen to the words. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, all of that is important, but there is one particular verse, and that would be verse 10 that I would especially hone in on today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Abraham Lincoln was asked on one occasion if he thought God was on the side of the Union, on the side of the North during the Civil War. And he responded by saying, the real question is not whether God is on our side, but whether we are on God's side. And now more than a century and a half later, that's still a pretty relevant question. When I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, we used to sing a little song One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the Lord's side. On which side are you? I I think we have all worked at the task of making sure that God is on our side. And in the process of that, we have abandoned, basically, the holy God, and we have created other gods that will more easily jump through our hoops and respond to our bidding. And I would submit to you that those are not gods at all, but rather they are idols. And we worship those things as long as they produce for us. And the reason is because so many times we don't really want God. What we want is God's endorsement. Like some of you, I have been watching a series uh, the last few weeks called uh, The Last Dance about uh, Michael Jordan. And as they were talking through there about his deal with Nike and the Air Jordan and those incredible shoes and how expensive they were, I came to the realization that Nike really didn't care that much about Michael Jordan as a person. What they wanted was his endorsement on their product. And I have the impression that a lot of us in our relationship with God are not as interested in God as we are in having His endorsement upon the way we live life. So I'd like this morning to talk to you about some of the most popular deities in our religious culture. The things that we have a tendency to worship in place of the living God. Would you be surprised if I started by saying that many of us worship the God of my opinion? Don't tell me that you don't worship Him. I don't know many of you very well But I know some of you well enough to know that you bow at this altar daily of my opinion. I also am old enough to remember when you could watch the news, the national news at night, and you would hear what happened through that day. You can't do that anymore. What you hear now is opinion. And what you also hear is, if you don't agree with my opinion, you don't matter very much. And I think that within the life of the church, the longer we have been in the church, the longer we have been a believer, the more seniority we think that we have. And the more we think our opinion should carry weight. And the more legalistic our, be- our opinion becomes about what we believe. Max Licato some time ago wrote, Legalism has no pity on people and our opinion becomes our legalism he said legalism makes your opinion my responsibility it makes your opinion my boundary it makes your opinion my obligation and we become legalists oh not in the rules of the church we've passed those things off a long time ago it's certainly possible to be legalistic about those things but we become legalists in terms of our opinion regarding things that aren't even essential to the faith. Listen to me. We recreate God in the image of our opinion, and suddenly God thinks just like you do, and couldn't possibly think like anyone else. And if we have moved beyond the God of my opinion, then we often land on the God of my cause. And the text says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It reminds me of when I went into the seventh grade at Mayberry Junior High School in Wichita, Kansas. Suddenly, this group of sixth graders that I had gone through six years of school with, suddenly we were moving away from Eureka Elementary, where we had recess both morning and evening, where we brought a sack lunch or we went home for lunch, and suddenly we were cast in the midst of this new school with all of these other sixth graders from all of these other elementary schools, and life was incredibly different. Um, gym class was a new experience for me. You can tell I love to work out. Do it all the time. It was new for me. I liked recess. You could go out, you could play softball, or you could play marbles, or you could sit on the merry-go-round. It didn't matter. But in gym class, that was all different. And when we got there, we had a uniform that we were supposed to wear. It was some little khaki shorts and a white... uh, wife-beater kind of an undershirt. You know the kind I'm talking about. And when we got there, the coach had a stand there, and he came by with a magic marker, and he wrote the last name on the front of our shirt because they only called you by your last name. I was Stearman, of course. And he wrote that name on my shirt, and I can still smell that magic marker when I think about that experience. And then when I took off my shirt, my name was written across my chest. And then, we had to line up on that outside line around the gymnasium. And it was time to pick sides for whatever the event was that day, whatever we were going to be involved in. And I discovered early on that the finest athlete in the seventh grade, at least as far as I was concerned, was a guy by the name of Dale. You always wanted Dale on your side. He could run faster. He could hit the ball farther. He could sink a basket with poise and with grace. And his presence almost assured victory whatever the game. I liked having Dale on my side. Now, I'm 72 years old instead of 12. 60 years old later, and the challenges that we face are greater, and the stakes are higher. But I haven't grown out of the desire to have someone like Dale on my side, whatever the circumstances may be, and I doubt that I'm alone. The bigger the problem, of course, the greater the help that's needed. And God, well, He's the greatest help available. And so naturally, God gets called in to lend almighty support to all kinds of causes. And that seems fitting and good since the Bible teaches that God holds the world with concern. That He calls us to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to share our bread with the hungry and our homes with the homeless. I mean, what could be more appropriate than seeking God's help for these kinds of things? And in fact, God probably is, must be pleased that we do those things as long as a subtle shift does not take place. You see, what can happen is this. Instead of serving God by working for a just cause, we attempt to serve a just cause by using God, I can't tell you the number of times across my ministry that I've had someone come to me and tell me that we must do this because God told me. Hey, forgive me for being skeptical, but when the message from God only serves to further their cause, I begin to wonder. How many times have I had people come to me and say, God said, God told me. And I often wonder, why didn't He tell me and cut out the middleman, you know? You see, eventually the cause pushes God aside and He just becomes a useful means. You might say, Pastor, what are some examples? Well, The things that I think of are Princeton and Yale and Harvard, schools that started out as Bible colleges. And though they still may have a school of theology, you would be hard-pressed to find a Bible study on those campuses. Or what about the YMCA? Young Men's Christian Association. I'm not sure how many YMCA's you would have to go to to find the mention of Christ or someone sharing Jesus. So we throw the golden rings and the bracelets of this compassionate concern that we have for our cause. We throw them all into the fire and this golden calf appears and begins to lead the way. And we begin to see God as simply an aid to fulfilling our human aspirations. And we assume that God is the God of my cause. And in the church, that looks like this. If I'm really high on youth ministry, or missions, or small groups, or missions, you name it, whenever budget time rolls around, around, we're all standing in line trying to make sure that our cause is the leading cause. Our cause is more important than all the others. And we begin to assume that God is a God of my cause and we create a God who sees things exactly the way we see things. Isn't that incredibly convenient? We begin with a cause and we reconceive God according to our cause. So who God really is doesn't concern us very much. What matters is finding an image of God that will be useful for this cause I'm a part of. And any God, small g, any God pressed into the service of a particular cause will be a God too small to be much help. Why? Because God is bigger than your cause. And if we come to the realization that we need to move beyond the God of my opinion and the God of my cause, sometimes I find that I stumble into trying to worship the God of my understanding. The text this morning said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We have a granddaughter Four grandsons and one granddaughter. You think she's the princess? She is the princess. And she's the smallest, the youngest. And I'm remembering when she was a toddler and they would come to our home down on Fountain Creek. She would go out by the creek with her little shovel and her bucket. And she would begin to dig in the sand there on the shore of the creek. And then she would take her bucket over and fill it with water and pour it in that hole. It would disappear because the soil is so porous. But she would go back and get another bucket and pour it in there and watch it disappear. And she would continue to do that. And we would smile because we knew that the day was coming when she would understand that that stream was not going to be contained in this little hole of any size that she would dig. And neither can God be contained even by our theological systems. We often forget that only in Jesus Christ has there ever been an exact correspondence between God and humanity. So when we attempt, when we construct our theology, and we do, every one of you here this morning, every one of you watching this morning, you are a theologian. Yeah, you are. It may have little to do with this book, but you have made all kinds of assumptions and decisions about God. You have created a theology. It may have little to do with the church you attend, but you have your own theology. And in essence, when we do that, we imprison God within a structure that we have built, and we assume that God will feel very much at home in this little structure of theology that we have constructed. And then it is a very short step to believe that God would not feel at home anywhere else. I grew up in this tribe, the Church of the Nazarene. And I must confess that it took me a while to get to the place where I finally realized, hey, we're probably not the only ones going to make it to heaven. In fact, I'm not sure most many of us are sometimes. But I began to hang around with Lutherans and Episcopalians and Pentecostals and other folks and I, I started realizing Wait wait a minute, My, my understanding of God is kind of limited. They're way down the road from where I am. Because you see, when we finally nail down the last plank in our theological house that we have built, we may discover that the only God we have contained is too small to be worth the effort. So Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 48, says... However, the Most High, listen, does not dwell in houses made by men. Most would interpret that to be a building like this. I interpret it to be far greater than that. I think he, it is saying that he doesn't just live in this little theology that I have developed in my own mind. The prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? I can't contain Him in my understanding because He is so much bigger than my opinion and so much bigger than my cause and so much bigger than this little piece of understanding I have of Him. And when I finally come to the conclusion that that is true, And I'm willing to live with that, that He's bigger than that. Then I begin to worship the God of my experience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I like the way that verse is paraphrased in the Living Bible where it says, For the reverence and fear of God are basic to all wisdom. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. And I appreciate the way it's paraphrased there. It says that knowing God results in everything else that we're looking for. We believe that if our understanding and our experience, and, our, and it's our opinion that result in knowing God. We have it backwards. The things we experience, though, they are naturally things which we are most certain of because we went through it. So my form of worship and my style of prayer and my focus in service, those easily shape the pattern into which I squeeze spiritual reality because I experience that. Let me explain it this way. A few summers ago, our oldest daughter had returned home from uh, Southern Nazarene University. She had graduated. She came home without a husband. That was a bad thing. To come home from college without having found your soulmate. Boy, in those days. So she was living with us, had a job, trying to figure out what life was going to be like for her. And a weekend came where my wife and my other daughter had gone to Wichita to see Jane's mother. And I had been looking through the newspaper or whatever, and I discovered that they were having a fly-in up at a little town in the northwest corner of Kansas. Just a tiny little town. It it would be a a fly-in of Stearman Airplanes. And the Stearman airplane is a biplane. It has two wings, an upper and a lower wing. And if you've ever seen a double-wing airplane on a movie, I almost guarantee you it was a Stearman airplane. So I asked Stacy if she would like to go with, us, with me on this trip. I wanted to see those Stearmans. I had flown in one one other time, but I thought, I'd just like to go see. And maybe it would help her. So on a Friday afternoon, we took off and drove up there, spent the night, got up early to move to that little town so that we could see those Stearman airplanes come in and land. And while we were there, we noticed that uh, two of those Stearman airplanes were taking people for rides. So I said, Stacy, would you like to ride in one? I already had She said, yeah, Dad, I would. So I went over and bought two tickets, one for me, one for her. You can tell by looking at that plane that you only have one passenger. Passenger sits in the front seat, pilots in the back. So I said, Stacy, I've already ridden. You go ahead. You You take the first one. So she walked out on this grass field and climbed in the front seat of that plane. And I stood back behind the chain link fence and watched. I knew it would be a wonderful experience for her. The pilot fired up the engine and that wooden propeller began to spin and blue smoke began to puff out of the exhaust. And before long, that engine was revved up high and that plane began to make its way, bumping down that grass strip. And then just like a box kite, it lifted up off the ground and it began to soar higher and higher and I watched as that plane just kept going. Now I had watched the other flights and the pilot would take him up and do a little circle and then he would come back and land but with my daughter in there he just kept going and the circles were he, he was still making circles but they were getting higher much higher than those other passengers had experienced and I, now my heart is in my throat and I'm beginning to wonder, what? what, and, and then I thought, well, maybe he's kidnapping her and he's going to marry her. You know, I had all of these things going through my mind. I, all of these fantasies happening and uh, he kept going and climbing higher. And then I watched as that plane went into a nosedive straight down toward the earth. And I am terrified. I don't have a clue what's going on. And that thing continued to fall until finally he pulled back and that thing did a complete loop. And then it did two barrel rolls. And then it came back around and landed on that grass field, which was fine. But I couldn't figure out why he did that. And so when she got out of the plane and she started walking toward me and I'm walking toward her and we will pass. She's walking toward me with a complexion that is white as a ghost. And I'm walking toward her thinking, what went on there? So as we passed, I said, Stacy, what did you say to the pilot? She said, I just asked him to show me what it would do. And so I got to the plane and I crawled up into that front Seat and I put on that little canvas piece, that Snoopy helmet that they give you that had the microphones in the ear and the uh, uh, speakers in the ears and, and a little microphone around front. And I hooked that thing up and I put on that seat belt and the pilot behind me spoke and I could hear him and he said, is your name Stearman also? I said, yes. Okay. He said, uh, you see... Those pedals on the floor? Yes, sir, I do. He said, don't put your feet on those. Okay, I won't. He said, you see over there on the right, I think it was the right or the left, there was a throttle. He said, you see that moving? Yes, sir, I do. He said, don't touch that. I won't. And then between my knees, there was a wooden stick coming up, and he began to move that around from his compartment, and he said, you see the stick moving? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, don't touch that. I said, I won't. And in a matter of seconds, he fired up that engine again and that wooden propeller began to spin and the blue smoke puffed out of those exhaust pipes. And we began to make our way down that bumpy, grass landing strip. Finally picking up enough speed, which isn't a lot, so that the thing lifted off the ground. And as I say, I had flown in one before. It was just a nice little flight. But as he took off and started making circles that were getting higher, I realized I'm in for the same treatment whatever she had. I'm in for that same thing. And the thing kept climbing until finally I saw that wooden stick push forward and that plane did a nosedive and I am watching the earth come up at me at a frightening speed. And when that thing went over, it is like riding the biggest roller coaster you've ever been on in all your life. And I watched the earth coming toward me, and I'm trying to hold onto my glasses to keep them from falling off. And he pulled back on that stick, and we did that big loop, and then he did those two barrel rolls. And I caught my breath and realized I was still out on my glasses and he pulled the thing around and started landing on that grass strip and he asked asked me how it was i said well yeah i said uh, did i scream and he said not as much as your daughter <laughs> i said next time i'm going to keep my eyes open <laughs> i was on a plane No canopy, no windows, no reclining seats, no tray table, no mid-flight refreshments. Now, if you were to ask me if I had flown, I would have to say, yes, I have. But that flight wasn't comfortable, and it wasn't quiet, and it wasn't relaxing. Oh, it was fun when I was back on the ground. But maybe you flew in a 777 or a 747, some big airship. And let's say while you were waiting there to board the plane, they called your name, brought you back up to the desk, and they said, you know what, we're going to bump you up to first class. And you went in and sat down, and the seats were leather, and they were wide. And they reclined. Even before you pulled away from the gate, the flight attendant came by and offered you something cold to drink. And when that airplane reached altitude, she came by and... I offered you uh, an entree of some kind for a meal, and when they brought the tray, it, it had real plates on it and real little silverware. It wasn't that plastic stuff in a cardboard box. And have you ever been there in first class and they bring you the tray, and there are those two, that, there's that little glass salt and pepper shaker. They are so cute that you're well, let me, let me back up. My impulse was to just put those in my pocket. I, uh, we can talk about that later. But that was my impulse. And then as the flight began to descend into your destination, she comes back down the aisle with that tray full of damp, hot towels. saying, Would you like to freshen up? Well, I sure would. We both flown. But our experiences were far different. And we both assume that our experience is genuine. And it is genuine. It was a real experience. It's just not the only experience. And so we divide ourselves along lines, believing in God based on our experience and assuming that our experience is the only valid experience. And then it becomes so easy to define authentic spirituality according to my particular experience and the way I express it. And listen, any God I use to just support my opinion or my latest cause or who fits comfortably into my understanding and my experience, is going to be a God no larger than me. And if that's the case, He will not be able to save me from my sin, or inspire inspire my worship, or empower my service. Because He's no bigger than me. Julius Hickerson Some of you may know that name. He was a a promising young uh, physician who could have certainly enjoyed a comfortable life and a comfortable living in the States, but he felt God stirring in his spirit that perhaps he should become a missionary and he had Columbia on his mind to go there. Ministering, he said, to souls as well as to people's bodies. He still wanted to be that physician, but he thought maybe there was something more he could do along with that. And his friends and associates here in the States thought he was crazy, and he himself must have thought that on occasion as well, when after two years, he could see very little that he had accomplished. And it all ended tragically for him, because he was killed in a plane crash while attempting to take some medical supplies back into a remote village. But in the wreckage of that plain, those local people who lived in one of those little villages found a well-marked Bible and they began to read it. And they told other people about what they had read. And before long they were gathering in little groups, either under a tree or in a, somebody's little shack of a house and they were talking about this book and what it was doing in their life and what it meant to them. And when the Southern Baptists, who were unaware of what had taken place, went into that area to evangelize it, they discovered that it was already fully evangelized. And when the missionaries asked how this happened, the Colombians showed them a Bible. And on the inside cover was a name Julius Hickerson. The written word of God will not return empty. He is so much bigger than my opinion or my cause or my understanding or my experience. The Word says, so also is My Word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It shall accomplish all I want it to and prosper everywhere I send it. Can I confess to you, I don't understand that. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand a lot of things about God and life. I don't understand why God doesn't miraculously heal everyone. I don't understand why cancer is a plague. I don't understand why COVID-19 shut us down. I don't understand why God doesn't make every church grow exponentially. I don't understand why when riots are going on around a nation, God doesn't just somehow force all of us into a relationship with Him. But if I could, If I could understand all of that, then I could contain Him. And He would be a God of my own creation. 2,000 years ago, people thought they had God all figured out. They would go to the temple and they would offer a sacrifice and they would have a burnt sacrifice and they would worship in that way. And that whole process had grown stale and routine. They were just going through the motions kind of like we are sometimes, just go to church. But as they continued to do that, they thought, well, you know, as long as we keep up the ritual, God will be happy, right? Wrong. God was not happy, so He stepped into history, the history of the world with power and with grace through a little baby that was born in a barn in Bethlehem. And would be crucified on a cross. And by doing so, God literally, literally walked into our world. Tell me, whose theory did He obey when He did that? Whose theology was He walking in? Was it yours? wasn't mine. No one. I don't understand it. But if I understood it fully, I wonder if He would really be God. See, God is different than anything we have imagined. And the biblical word for that difference, I submit to you, is holy. And we have lost our concept of holy because we live in a profane world where nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred. The prophet Isaiah had a moment when he became aware of that very fact that God was bigger than his opinion and bigger than his cause and bigger than his understanding and bigger than his experience. And he wrote it like this. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a lofty throne and the temple was filled with His glory. And hovering about him were mighty six winged angels of fire. With two of their wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And a great antiphonal chorus, in that great antiphonal chorus they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And indeed, It is. And He is bigger than our cause and bigger than our understanding and bigger than our opinion and bigger than our experience. Let me tell you this. He is bigger than what's the matter. He's bigger than what's the matter in our world, bigger than what's the matter in our nation right now, bigger than what's the matter with our economy, bigger than what's the matter with a marriage, bigger than what's the matter with our kids, bigger than what's the matter with our finances, bigger than what's the matter with our health. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Father in heaven, accept our thanks for this day. We come to the realization today that You are indeed far superior to anything we think, to anything we imagine, to anywhere we may have been, anything we might have seen. You are the King of kings and the lord of lords you are the king of kings and the lord of lords
1: He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. the sick, he cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age, He rewards the diligent, and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His his grace is the his reign is righteous, and the yoke is easy, and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind, you see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't out him him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Fought, terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him.
6: Hey! That's my king! That's my king! Amen. 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 That old video has been around so long but it seemed like the perfect way to lead up to a benediction today I wonder do you know him not about him but do you know him and he waits to be wanted Mm. father in heaven we give you thanks ah Father, I can't get my mind around you. I can only surrender to you. And so, Father, we say today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you all next week. you're dismissed.